0: Welcome to another episode of the Christian Combatives Podcast. Today we're being hosted again by Christchord, the Christian Discord. If you would like to join, go to discord.gg forward slash Christian, discord.gg forward slash Christian. Today I'm joined by my friend Stigma the Artist, and we'll be talking about the regulative, normative, and inventive principles in worship, particularly in music. Things like, should we use musical instruments, and should we use only certain types of musical instruments certain styles things like that later on we'll get into emotional versus instructive music i talk about why i hate uh christian pop music and why i don't necessarily have to it doesn't have to necessarily be as bad as it often is (laughs) so without further ado stigma take it away as he describes a conversation that he was having with a presbyterian friend about the regulative principle.
1: For Presbyterians, for the Reformed tradition in general, as well as the Puritans and uh the Eastern Orthodox, although not the Coptic or the Byzantine uh, division of it. um, Yeah, they go by a thing called the Regulative Principle, which essentially means that um, whatever the scriptures do not prescribe or explicitly state in terms of worship, you are forbidden from doing to the point where it's a sin. Huh. So... Essentially, if musical instruments for example or uninspired hymns are not uh, given an example in scripture, uh, using them would be a sin. And this extends to many other things other than worship. but um, yeah, we were talking specifically about worship uh, in the in a corporate um, in a corporate environment as well and and so it was really interesting uh the the regulated principle extends to other areas of life although i didn't get into those other areas i'd be really interested to hear what he has to say about those and from the little research i did they talked mainly about regulative worship rather than all other areas in life but yeah and
0: uh, it's weird that that's only a it seems more applied to to worship or, yeah, because singularly I'm like, applied to worship,
1: right? Because for John Calvin, anything that was not prescribed in scripture, uh, has uh, we are forbidden from doing. Um, hmm. and and I don't know how far they take that because I can give them a few examples of uh, that not being exactly the case. <laughs> and so, like, if they were doing, you know, a uh, if like, how would they feel about a person, a reformer teaching theology on YouTube, making YouTube videos? Like, YouTube wasn't a thing in the uh, in the church days. There was never given a prescription to use this mode of teaching. You well, know, it has to be yeah. either in the church, in the house. Even the way uh, that church was conducted in the early church, it's like no one uh, does church services annually on Sunday in their home with a massive feast as the Lord's Supper, not even Reformed.
0: Well, grape juice also didn't exist. The pasteurized invention of... Uh,
1: oh, yeah, they will Thomas they will fight you forever Oh, uh, yeah, I'm,
0: just, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. If you want to <laughs> play the regulative principle game... Ujibol, oh, yeah, you know they will wasn't? fight you
1: forever on that. So, again, I don't know how far they take it, but when it comes to worship, yeah, they're very uh, black and white on it. And so...
0: So if God didn't the, have organs, you can't have pipe organs in service
1: basically he said um and basically the way he tied it is that well because you know we uh peter and uh, and paul referred to our temple our new temple being our bodies as the synagogue therefore you know we are the extension of the synagogue and um the instruments that they use then are now uh translated to our voice and therefore <laughs> uh because we have to be very specific in how we this was the most uh uh, this was the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh,
0: extreme, exercise? no, um,
1: no, 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 The, the opposite. It was the, uh, persuasive, the most persuasive part about it is that he said, well, you know, many of the things that God asks for us has is very specific, very regularly. Like we just talked about, you know, the, the way the temple was set up, the way you had to go into his presence, uh, et cetera. And so they would extend that mindset to mean we can use no innovations of man whatsoever. It all has to be prescribed by God because this is what God wants, not what we want. Therefore, we cannot use anything outside of Scripture in order to uh, in order to uh, justify this. And even though, again, I'm a uh, yeah, uh, Blue Link is putting them in the chat right now about the verses in Psalms where it says, you know, play the lute and the lyre, uh, crash the cymbal, you know, praise Jesus with a loud song, et cetera, et cetera. Um, He basically said, yeah, that was, you know, temple worship. And now that the temple is within us, you know, we have to use strictly our voices because that's the most pure form of worship. And then I was just like, I wasn't full, I wasn't well researched into it. So I sort of just took his arguments as they were. And I was like, oh man, you know, it does this have some validity. So I did a lot of research as a good Lutheran should, <laughs> I did a lot of research into it about the different principles, the regulative, the normative, which is what Lutherans and most other Christians are. And then the uh, inventive, which is what the Roman Catholics are. Um, yeah. So they will often cite uh, John Calvin, obviously even Swingley uh, was super big on not using instruments or any of that in worship. But they will also cite Augustine and Thomas Aquinas with this because they also had a, a strong opinion about the use of instruments in uh, liturgical worship. Um, and so for Thomas Aquinas and Augustine, they basically said it is... Uh, well, well, hang on. Let me, let me say that uh, the reasons Augustine and Aqu- uh, Aquinas or Augustine And uh, Aquinas uh, say that instruments shouldn't be used as a completely different reason than uh, what Swingley or Calvin was trying to persuade. Like for Calvin and Swingley, they were saying because it is not prescribed in scripture and there's no example of it in the old church, therefore it is forbidden. For Aquinas and Augustine, they simply didn't want it because of the cultural cultural, uh, perspective as well as they thought it was distracting. Um, even though Augustine liked the sound of it, he thought it was too distracting that you didn't focus on the words enough. Um, and Augustine Aquinas, was the first
0: person fighting contemporary worship. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> like, you know, for, we're not having an electric guitar.
1: Yeah. Begun with that. Yeah. But, um, and for Aquinas, it was largely a uh, cultural thing because he thought it was too Jewish or pagan. Um, because... You know, for a lot of pagan ceremonies, they would use like the flute and stuff. So he thought that was a bad cultural connotation that should not be uh, used in their mm. form of worship. So, again, a, a completely different, um, a completely different reason for why Calvin and Swingley thought it should be not permitted. And and I'm just like, I, I wouldn't use Aquinas or Augustine in that principle because. It's completely subjective to say that because I uh, cannot focus on the words for good reason. I mean, this was a very new, uh, this was a very new um, invention using music with the chants in the church, so that it probably was distracting for them because this this had never been really done before. It was primarily Gregorian chants for a large part of uh, church history from uh, Pope Gregory, and so you know to hear this new.
0: Um, this
1: new accompaniment, yeah. especially after you know, you know, that the cultural uh stigma of using no pun intended the cultural stigma of using instruments during worship was primarily a Jewish or a pagan thing, they thought that would you know influence our uh theology and stuff. And so, there's a lot of holes you can poke into that mindset. And again, Thomas Aquinas and uh augustine will admit this themselves they are not infallible you know creators of doctrine um so and neither is john calvin or swingley but yeah for john calvin and swingley in their church documents i think was the when was the uh westminster westminster uh confessions i think is the primary doctrine for the southern baptists yeah uh yeah they put that all worship liturgical worship corporate worship has to be done with no instruments only voices acapella with inspired hymns only
0: well this i mean you said that there's a bunch of holes but this kind of begs a question for me and I, i'm not i mean i do a little bit of chanting and stuff i don't know anything about music theory music history anything like that but you mentioned gregorian chants presumably okay. over time different ways of singing and i'm not just talking about like mongolian throat singing and yodeling but like different different ways of singing developed in the church some of them are 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 linguistically based i think about um
1: oh yeah they did um so, yeah, so, was so does
0: who, the argument apply of that. to that do they prescribe they say well one must only sing you know first century chant chant tones or, <laughs> or right whatever. like
1: there, that was a, in a sort of a innovation in the church as well um i can't remember her name but it was i believe a french or german nun um who was uh very popular in the church she created a a sort of new way to sing the melodies of gregorian chants celine dion yeah yeah basically um but yeah she sort of changed up the melody um to be a bit more dynamic to give it a bit more range to the standard gregorian chant that mainly stayed in one octave um so yeah, yeah and again there's no there's no uh there's no example of what the songs sounded like. Yeah. There's no example in the scriptures of what the song's melody was. They, who knows? They could have sung it in one note, like just one note, like. But yeah, I mean,
0: this is this is something that you see in other places in the world where that is, where the chant. So, like Buddhist chant tones and stuff like that, they will literally just do one note all the way through. So it's not unreasonable to assume that that could be a possibility as well. The oldest, the oldest musical piece that I'm aware of is the doxology uh, that are from the New Testament. And even then I'm not entirely sure that the, the, the melody is the same. I I know Luther, for example, would use, and people criticize this, but Luther would use melodies from German tavern songs, from drinking songs, melodies people were <clears> familiar <throat> with because he believed, and, and some of the some of the things he wrote, he would put he would put the psalms, he would put things like passages from scripture, he would put them to these melodies that people already knew because he believed that it was it was easier for them to use something that they already knew and combine it with with something maybe they didn't know yet these passages in scripture or whatever. So I, I mean, and right. that's that's an innovation though. You wouldn't have German drinking songs way back in the the third century,
1: right? And um, and this thing about the uh the regulative principle is only primarily held by reformed presbyterian baptists reformed baptists and um the eastern orthodox uh, and they would say well it was adopted in the early church as well until you know the pipe organ was introduced in the later part of the 7th century um but the but the thing is that that is now obviously the minority view you know right. um most Christians are what we call normative. Uh, uphold the normative principle, and so the normative principle, um, which is held by you know Lutherans, uh, Anglicans, and other Protestant denominations, is that while it is true we should not uh, do things that is contrary to Scripture in terms of the worship service, right? In that you know it says the worship service should be orderly, correct? Right. right. So obviously so that is a prescription order. of how we should conduct our worship in the church you know it should be orderly there's a standard right there but when it is not expressly forbidden in the scriptures it is up to us to make a educated and a discernful decision on what we introduce into the church right um and the inventive principle which is the primary uh the primary users of this principle is the Roman Catholic church, which is that it's all up to the church. Um, the church is the authority that can either say, this is the thing we're introducing into our liturgy or our worship or not. You know, we, they they can be in, informed by scripture, but it is still the church's decision to introduce, <clears throat> introduce this uh, element into our worship. So while the normative and the, um uh the restrictive or regulative principle is more concurrent with like sola scriptura. Uh the inventive is more in line with, you know, church authority being um being primary with scripture. And so uh yeah, it's interesting. I As I was looking at it, I, I actually sent you the article um in our DMs about uh comparing and contrasting the three principles, the pros and cons of it. It was interesting as I was, as I was looking through the cons of the normative and the inventive principle, the main cons wasn't that it wasn't biblically grounded. It was more so that it could be abused Yeah. in that, you know, the inventive principle is basically saying, well, if the church is in charge of everything, obviously, you know, they can abuse it. They can, they can, you know, it's basically whatever they say. And there it is. You lose the, you lose the authority of scripture. If the church is the top authority that can make those decisions, And for normative, it's basically the same thing, only you know applied to scripture, where it's like, well, if it's not expressly forbidden in the scriptures, then you can basically you know justify anything that's not explicitly put out. Scripture scripture. didn't
0: say you can't use a kazoo, right?
1: They didn't say you can't use heavy metal in the church service, which actually is a thing in Finland. Finland (laughs) is like the heartland of heavy metal, so they have heavy metal churches. But
0: um, well, the phrase that I hear used a lot, or that I use a lot myself in kind of Lutheran circles, is is Christian freedom, you are free in Christ to dot dot dot, and right, this is, uh,
1: all things are lawful, but not all things are are beneficial uh, or beneficial.
0: Yeah, so and that and that's the thing is is Christian freedom is not is not libertinism. It's not it's not it's not pure kind of do whatever you feel like. There are guiding yes. principles behind what you do, even if, but it's not necessarily it's not well, The Bible has to. The Bible has to explicitly prescribe the instrument. Has to express, explicitly prescribe the tonality, the the style of chanting, the you know the shape of the church. The well, if you you know if you again, I see so many problems with this idea that the Bible doesn't prescribe every sort of every sort of thing. In fact, there's a lot that the Bible leaves up to to, to Christian liberty. And the benefit of traditions being developed over time is hopefully they're developed. With, with with something in mind, with teaching. You know, the reason I wear such and such, the reason I do such and such, even though it's not prescribed in Scripture, but it's the same thing that the pastor down the street does, is because it teaches, you know, this one thing. Uh, the, you know, the reason, right. clerical shirt is an, ex- an example. What should pastors, what should elders, what should presbyter, know, whatever you want to call them, overseers, what, should they wear a uniform? Should they wear a, a right. suit and tie? And, and this is why he tried casual?
1: to... Right, and this is why uh, the presbyterian I was talking to, he uh, wanted to say that you know the the mode in which we conduct our worship is part of the moral law of the Old Testament. Like he he pointed out a bunch of Old Testament uh, verses about how we are to conduct ourselves during certain ceremonies or certain uh, institutions of worship, and I was like, okay, that's fair. However, in my mind, uh, and he 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 did have a rebuttal for it that I can't specifically recall. But uh, it's basically like um, because, you know, these principles in the Old Testament are still alive today, that God, you know, doesn't change his mode of regulation for us. Therefore, we have to make sure that it is uh, fully upheld because the Old Testament still leads into the New Testament. And a lot of the regulations, therefore, have to be considered uh, in that same vein. But again, it also brings up the whole argument of if the whole regulated principle hinges on what is prescribed or what is primarily explicitly stated in scripture if if that is the argument then that's basically the whole argument roman catholics use against like sola scriptura which is like well it's not it's not stated in the bible that you have to believe everything that the bible says and only the bible only so therefore sola scriptura is not true (laughs) Uh, and the, and you can make the argument for many other things and so uh it doesn't explicitly say that things like uh masturbation is you know wrong so therefore you can't uh make the case that it is wrong and uh that's usually where the prescription comes in and that's sort of my problem their whole thing is that if it can be prescribed in the bible then it is uh then it is true but the regulative principle is not just a prescription. It's a it's a solid law which says if it's not shown in the Bible, then not only should you not do it, it's a sin to do it. Hmm. Uh, it is literally a sin to do something that the Bible doesn't, even though it doesn't explicitly state that it's not right, it's still a sin uh, to do so in corporate worship. And so, it was very interesting.
0: Uh, I'm thinking uh, of a verse as you're describing this in Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen it says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God, uh, Theonustas, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work." And I can I can see somebody taking this verse and kind of using it to say, "Aha, see." Uh, you know, the Bible has a prescription for everything that you need to do for every good work. Is worshiping God good work? Well, the Bible prescribes how to do it. I mean, but I don't think that this is necessarily the case, like the regulative principle, where the Bible has to prescribe, you know, step by step every detail, every aspect. The Bible can prescribe principles. The Bible can say, you know, worship is orderly, worship is glorifying to God, uh, things like that. It, it talks about communion, First Corinthians 10 and 11, things like that, that it should be, that it should be, this should be ordered, that people shouldn't be getting drunk and people shouldn't be abusing the Lord's Supper. Things that are general, right. general principles that we can, that we can follow. And I think there is a Christian freedom to even argue about that. Should we right. have rock and roll guitars and, and drum sets in church worship? Well, guess what? We've got the Christian freedom to argue for it. And we don't have to say, well, it's sinful to use XYZ instrument or right. no, God and, absolutely permits anything to happen.
1: And his most his most convincing case, again, was basically trying to connect the Old Testament form of uh, regulation and worship in with the New Testament, and saying, since we are an extension of that, we ought to have the same exact regulatory principles uh, for our worship as the Jews did, because, you know, they, the apostles made parallels to the synagogue being the new temple, which is us. Um, but... Again, even so, um, I brought up certain verses talking about how uh, this the difference between the ceremonial and the moral law, which again, they think that the regulation for worship is part of the moral law and how we are to worship God because then he'll say, well, you do think that the way we worship God changes then? Um, but uh, the primary example I brought up is when the... Uh, was when uh, Paul is talking to these people who are like, well, can we eat this food that is uh,
0: Sacrificed being
1: idols? offered to idols? Yeah. And uh, that's where he, you know, gives us the law of conscience where he says, you know, all things are lawful, but not all things beneficial. Um If you if you do something that is offensive to your Jewish neighbor and he is offended by it, you should not do it uh, for the sake of his own faith that, uh, since it is uh more weak in the christian faith than yours then it is good for you to basically abstain from that in front of him uh and that's where he says you know if it violates your conscience do not do it because for you it would be sin um
0: well, and so while similar, i similar that's right. his argument is it's neither good nor wise to go against conscience uh
1: right and for him he and for him again his primary argument which would be the most convincing is that he's trying to tie in the old testament form of regulation for everything that we do especially concerning god one of the uh examples he gives is when the uh people uh i forgot their names but it's the two guys in israel who brought Jesus, or not jesus brought well yes jesus but brought (laughs) god the father the uh unusual fire you know where he put the incense in the fire offered to him and then it was uh it offended God and thus consumed them. Um, so, in that sense, yes, I think the way May we worship matters.
0: A sons of Aaron, yeah,
1: correct. But again, there are many things in the New Testament where, and this was a big thing in Acts as well, where uh, the Jews were basically saying, "You Christians have to become Jews first. Be circumcised. Go through, you know, be a go through the bar mitzvah stuff, all that sort of thing of becoming a Jew
0: yeah, Judah, before G- you can be a
1: Christian." Yeah, the Judaizers, and they were dealt with very harshly in Galatians. Um, before you can become a Christian, a true Christian, and this caused the you know the first council, well not the first council, but one of the councils to come together in order to deal with this. Like, how do we reconcile the with the uh, Gentiles with their Jewish neighbors without offending either of them? Uh, really? And they dealt with it. James set, uh, had the final word and basically said, just do these two things, so as not to offend your Jewish neighbor, which is. You know, do you abstain from drinking or eating any blood from meat, and uh, abstain from sexual immorality.
0: It's interesting. So, the the so for that specific example, uh, the the example of circumcision, is is that you actually see sort of Christian freedom acted out in both ways. On one hand, Christian freedom you should not. You should not act as though you have to. You have to follow the the traditional laws of the Old Testament. This is, you know, this is the argument. What do you want to re crucify Christ or whatever? You've been freed from this these laws, the law of circumcision. Why do you want to be judged back under that law again? And and so on one hand, yeah, you have the Christian freedom not to be bound by that law, but on the other hand, you've got an example like Timothy. So if you're ever if you're ever excuse me if you're ever studying Greek and uh a greek in the bible and eventually you're going to have to learn the greek word for circumcision one of the easiest ways to remember it is is to remember that poor timothy was circumcised as an adult not because for the sake of his salvation but for the sake of of causing less offense to to the jews that they were that they were interacting with so poor timothy peritomel peri poor timothy so if you ever want to remember the greek word for circumcision just think poor timothy but that's that Christian freedom acted out both in circumcision and abstention from circumcision as it is it's not required
1: right and um, and to be fair to the guy I was talking to the Presbyterian guy um, he did say that although uh, uh, their church officially views it as a sin to you know change the mode of worship to have instruments any sort of instrument in the worship it is not a damnable sin which although isn't shared by all reformed theologians, um, I, I don't know if John Calvin thought it was a damnable offense, but uh, some of the, one of the reformed uh, theologians that I uh, read about thought it was such a heinous error that it's cost you your salvation, which well, again is not yeah. shared by all <laughs> Reformed traditions. Like even in the Presbyterian uh, tradition, there is um, there's diversity in thought when it comes to the, uh, the regulative principle, even in the Eastern Orthodox, I think the Eastern Orthodox still hold to the regulative principle, but the Coptic and Byzantine uh, branch of uh, Orthodox do
0: not. I was looking in the chat. Davies Butchers mentions the, or Davies Butcher, sorry, uh, butcher the the uh, the Pentecostal mentions. Uh, he says it's interesting to see the the contrast in the Old Testament. There's a prescription on the physical tabernacle and how the temple should look. It, yeah,
1: I remember it, this.
0: Like it describes like all of these details about, you know, like it it is so meticulous. Even the description of of mm. Noah's Ark. You remember when it's not just, hey, build me an ark, you got a hundred years to do it. It's like this many spans of this kind of wood and this right
1: and that was his primary that was his primary argument that like well look how meticulous you know lord talks about the way that people should come to him and should set up the temple it was very very meticulous and i'm like that okay where's well, that the meticulous argued- verses about in the new testament about how we should conduct our worship and his primary verse which he brought up in the in the new testament was ephesians 5 where it says you know sing each other hymns spiritual songs Wow, uh, that's... And, and then he basically said there's no there's no thing where it says you know play the instrument play the lyre <laughs> to comfort each other and then i'm like
0: but that's uh, that's not even remotely comparable if you look at the like the scope if you look so god does this so many times in the old testament we've got all these ceremonial laws and all these like the entire book of leviticus for example all these laws about how society should be run about all this you know these civil things these 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 ceremonial things going on, and God gives these meticulous things. So, if your argument, I don't, I think that if God was going to do the same thing with how a church service should be operated, should it should be should be run, should whatever people should worship, then He would have done it. Like He's He's proven He could it could have been Second Leviticus, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, and they even say this. It's yeah. like, and they even say this about certain things about the church service where they're like, "Well, it's not prescribed in uh, in the Bible when." you know our church service should be held other than obviously sunday but like if it was held at like you know 2 p.m. or should it should be held at 10 a.m. in the morning you know that's not prescribed so we don't have to worry about that and um and then i'm just like well at this point it's just like you're looking needlessly for every single little detail and again if if it was such a big deal for the church to conduct itself in a very specific way especially when in regards to worship would it not be prudent for the apostles to write down, oh, by the way, use yeah. no instruments whatsoever, <laughs> use no sort of invention of man to, you know, to pollute the pure worship of your voices.
0: There's no lack um, of instruction in, in the New Testament, but there is there is a distinct gaping hole of, of where that would be. There should be, at. I mean, if that's the idea, then there should be at least an entire book or an epistle even of like, you know, if you're conducting church church service, Paul in, in in 1 Corinthians could have gotten into detail about about communion. He could have, in addition to saying, you know, you guys are getting drunk and some people go hungry and some people, you know, this is not the Lord's Supper that you're in, He could have said, well, look, you're supposed to put the cup on this side of the ciborium and they're supposed to be made of gold on the outside and silver on the inside. And like, there was every opportunity for God to do this thing and he, and he didn't. And he's demonstrated that he's done it in the past. So if he wanted to do it, like, oh, man, it's tearing my hair out of this. If he wanted to right. do it, he would have done it.
1: And again, you know, he says, and again, it's like, you know, some theologians would disagree. But I think the primary uh, uh, affirmers of the regulated principles say, although it is a sin, it is not a damnable sin. So, you know, some Presbyterian churches do have, you know. It's a venial call, sin. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, kind a, a of a mortal sin would be Some would say it's baby. a mortal sin. Some would say it's a mortal sin, but it's a very small minority. And, you know, I thought you were going to say it was a very that.
0: small mortal sin. <laughs> <laughs> it's a but small no, but, mortal sin. There's bigger mortal. Like you've got. Yeah,
1: the, there's there's bigger ones. You venial know, mortal in, and like
0: extra mortal.
1: There's gradients to this. Um, but yeah, this is also a position held by the Puritans in America. As we all know, they were very, very. Legalistic on everything that they did, especially when it concerned things like sexual immorality, uh, sex in general, with uh, music, dancing. They hated dancing. Like Good Lord, they hate dancing so much, the, uh, especially Reformed Baptists. Like, they for, hate yeah, dancing this, yeah. so much. And once you get into it, the reason why is uh, even it's, – it's for the same reason that uh, Augustine and Aquinas – don't like instruments during worship is because there's a negative uh, connotation, uh, negative uh, cultural connotation that, well, this is what the pagans do. This is what the Jews did. And we're not Jews anymore. So therefore, you know, we shouldn't be using it. That's what I I can't remember if it was Aquinas or Augustine who said, you know, it's distinctly Jewish. And <laughs> it, the, using instruments in worship could lead us into uh, Judaism,
0: that's, well, that's what's going to do it. I mean, if nothing else, I mean, all the, you know, all the, all the other things I'm like, yeah, you know, Oh, the, the music when Hava Nagila starts playing, man, I, yeah, I'm, like I'm about the... ready to, to get a yamaka.
1: Yeah. And then it's funny. Cause I, um, I can't remember exactly what he said, but then we, you know, then I asked him and then some other guy asked him like, you know, what about like private worship, uh, that's not in a church. And i can't remember if he said well basically it's both the same thing whether it's corporate or private you know if it's any sort of a of song that is dedicated to the function of worship uh it has to be done a cappella and it has to be uh and it has to be uh hymns like uh inspired hymns and while he did say you know well you know if you want to like put earphones on and listen to Hillsong song as you fall asleep because it sounds nice that's okay i guess <laughs> but uh, and then yeah we, we start asking for certain specifics and I'm like, uh, okay
0: yeah I, I I really don't see that as sustainable. obviously I don't I don't see it as necessarily biblical. But well because again like how far do you
1: extend that to to life because it's not only for uh, worship, although that's where it's primarily uh, primarily thought of um, but the regular principle can extend to other things in life. So I'm like, does that mean like jobs? Like yeah yeah it doesn't, doesn't it doesn't speak I don't see do we all have to be carpenters yeah do, do we all have to be carpenters or tax collectors you know the only the jobs that are talked about people having in scripture <laughs> uh, and you have to work West, at the
0: IRS because that's only one yeah. of the few got, jobs that the Bible mentions
1: <laughs> yeah it's like uh, and then the Westminster Convention says no these things are valid okay they're valid even though you know it's not. Even though it's not specifically uh, prescribed in scripture, there are certain things that you can, you know, certain assumptions you can make based on surrounding texts and other contexts in the culture. And I was like, okay, okay. But yeah, because I didn't research it at all and I wasn't sure like what, where they got this, you know, theology from, I was like, oh no. Every time <laughs> I go to church and we use the organ accompaniment, I'm sinning.
0: But it's like, oh yeah, we uh, don't even have a real pipe organ at our church. We have to use an electric organ. You know that's that's like two two or three levels of haram right there.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think it is the I don't know if it is the Westminster Confession, but another uh, but it's another document of theology of Reformed theology where it says there shall be no use of any sort of machinery, basically anything when it comes to corporate worship. So yeah, you're you're double screwed.
0: Oh boy. Yeah, well, so yeah, we, we don't have any instruments. We just got people who are really, really bad at singing. That's <laughs> that's that that's what. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not actually true. My church has some pretty decent singers, but yeah. and we have musical instruments. We just don't have. Any yeah, and again, it's guitars.
1: like Aquinas and uh, Augustine. Their primary reason for not wanting it is because they thought it was distracting themselves. They they personally thought it was distracting, c- and that we wouldn't be focusing on words. Which I could I see can it. see why. Again, I can yeah. see why because. You know, this wasn't widespread. This was still a very new innovation that the church was introducing. And even Augustine admitted, wow, this is like very beautiful hearing it, hearing the sounds reverberate across the cathedral walls. And that's what makes it bad because I like the music too much. I can't focus on the words. And I'm like, sure, that there's something to be said about that. But uh, which is probably why they only use an organ accompaniment so that we could, you know, focus on the words, but uh, even so, it's like, that's a very subjective line of reasoning of because it distracts you, therefore, uh, it can never be innovated, not only never innovated, that uh, uh, it shouldn't be used. I don't think they said it was sinful. I don't think they they inferred that. They just said it is in error and it is distinctly Jewish slash pagan, therefore, <laughs> it, sh- it shouldn't be brought into the church. Well, John Calvin and Swingley would say, no, it's a sin.
0: On the Jews and their liars.
1: Yeah, the the Jews and their harps. David and his harp.
0: David and his harp, yeah. I I, I do wonder. It kind of, I mean, this is not even related, but it kind of makes me think about musical instruments and and how many of the people just kind of came up with and uh, how many of them God was like, okay, now... Now pull this thing really, really tight, like it's like a string. Pull it really, really tight, and you know, to crank this down and and put it over this box. I mean, people aren't stupid. I, I'm sure they would have figured out acoustics. I was out in the woods a couple weeks ago, and uh, and I was bored, and I was supposed to be doing something else, but I I found out there was a dead tree, and if I broke off and it had a bunch of branches, it was a pine tree, and a bunch of branches that were snapped off in varying lengths and if i hit them with sticks i could make different notes and, and i could make like a marimba basically and right so i it does i i do wonder sometimes if god ever said hey because not everything god did and said was is is you know kept preserved in 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 scripture but i do wonder if god ever well said, that's exactly what i was gonna instrument. say
1: is that what that's exactly what i was gonna say is that instrument. the the account in the scriptures is not every single little thing that was going on in the early church like all of it wasn't recorded onto, uh, onto papyrus or onto manuscripts. Um,
0: yeah, what if people invented invented musical instruments and then God said, "Okay, this instrument that you invented, you know, you know, I gave you the wisdom to do it, but you invented, go and use that." Or can we only use musical instruments? Could, I guess I don't
1: yeah, know. that's, so, that's yeah, what, you what I should ask. In that that
0: God, uh, God, what, what if God invented a musical instrument? Would be would be be allowed to? I guess the the question isn't really fair because we don't have a specific example of, um, you know, God invented the pipe organ or whatever.
1: Right. And, um, but yeah, he's actually in the other chat right now. But yeah, I I should probably ask him, like, like when is it appropriate to, like, could a Christian write any sort of Christian music at all? Or do we have to be, like, secular in our
0: lyrics? (laughs)
1: Um, Or... I don't know maybe he'll say that well if it's you know used specifically just for teaching theology then you know it's fine it's it's just sung you know it's just a sung sermon it's not necessarily worship there's because a, I mean, they there's... have different ideas of what worship is
0: there's a the i don't know how i would describe the music that the the jesus radio music where uh k fish or whatever k-love k-love type, yeah <laughs> k-fish K- k-love, type, k-love type music where it's like okay well this music isn't actually you know, particularly instructive in terms of it's not teaching you like a, a psalm it's not necessarily a prayer but it's just something nice it's something that's not offensive and it's something that is kind of jesus-y so it it, it keeps your mind somewhat keep um, your mind at ease yeah well it keep your mind at ease but also keeps your mind kind of in the in the in the Christian, in a wholesome of space, right? In a wholesome space, yeah. I mean, as much as I, I'm going to admit to you, I hate Christian music. I, I loathe it with a passion. When it, if I'm in a car and every time I rent a car from an airport, it, it's funny. Depending what city I rent a car from, um, it, to listen to the radio and it's this garbage Christian music, <laughs> and I, I hate yeah. it. I hate it so much. And then I have to remember. Okay, well, just because I hate a lot of these stupid Christian pop songs, Bach is Christian music. Bach cantatas are Christian music. There's so many wonderful oh, yeah, he's Christian a, songs. He's a deep Lutheran. Yeah, but but in terms of like, if I turn on the radio and there's a song playing on the radio, well, I mean, chances are I'm going to hate the song anyway if it's playing on the radio. That's why I pick my own music.
1: Right, and I can see the I can see the uh, the appeal behind it. You know, they want to create like an alternative to the to the raunchy just downright yeah, and vial I think that that's good music right i think it's good for no instruction i wouldn't to... call it i definitely wouldn't call it worship um <laughs> it could be used for the glory of god 100 yeah. um but it's not something that i think should be uh play like in a church setting but um yeah and he'd probably tell me well you know everything has to be specifically regulated to we know what the scriptures say. So if it's not in the scriptures, therefore I'm like, okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And, and in that, in that area, like I enjoy, like I love Christian music. I'm like, I know you do. That's why
0: opposite. I specifically brought <laughs> yeah. it up. I was trying to make you uncomfortable.
1: No, <laughs> no, no, I fully understand. You're like, like all um, aboard
0: the Bethel Hill song heresy train.
1: Yeah. Um, like, I which like is,
0: my, my music theologically, uh, uh, theological, yeah, theologically right? bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and that, well that's the thing is like um jesus there are some songs that are theologically wrong that just downright wrong in their theology and then there are some songs where it's just like it's inoffensively it's inoffensively vague and universal Dabbing. right well it's yeah just like, I mean, it's like okay, god well, god is great you know yeah. glory be to his name it's basically it's basically the holy 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 lord god almighty's you know, sung for eternity by yeah. the angels in heaven. That's basically what it's.
0: Well, theologically, to be. theologically deep, but right. It's it's, it's not, not it's not bad. necessarily
1: meant for instruction. For me, when it comes to a lot of non-denominational a lot of non-denominational worship, um, I think a part of it is that they want you to be in a reflective, meditative state, and they they're not exactly looking to give you a sermon in song form because mm. they think that's what the sermons for. Uh, while in if you look at the hymns and if you look at you know all these uh classic songs that are sung in more traditional senses they want to give you the word and give you deep theology in a uh digestible and
0: memorable. uh consumable
1: manner right you know, a manner yeah, that I never can really get you
0: really thought about the contrast there I, I think about luther luther talks about his music and if you if you look at luther's kind of divine service settings and stuff like that, and and the hymns and, and that he comes up with, his goal is so obvious. He's, how can I cram as much teaching in there as possible? How can I cram as much scripture and as much teaching mm-hmm. into every single thing that happens? But then I, I think for some kind of big box churches, a lot of times they say, well, the teaching is going to happen at the sermon, the sermon slash Bible study, whatever, the homily. Um, but they put so much more of an emphasis on the emotional aspect they say well it's kind of it's kind of like buddhist meditation empty your mind type thing uh where it's it's i want to put this person in a i want to put these people in a particular emotional state um and and then let god do the work from from there like if they're if they're in an emotional state where they're for example they're more vulnerable and relaxed they're going to be more
1: receptive yeah like if they feel if they feel like they're in a safe place then they're more i guess receptive and willing to hear what you have to say like if they were having a bad day and they're like i really don't want to be at church you know it's sort of you can the way them, well, to... you can get them
0: either excited or yeah. you can even have slowed down things where you know we're saying okay well let's set the mood for if the message if the if the, the homily is is something about you know repentance and i know that i've sinned and stuff like that there are songs that can appropriately set the set the Cor- mood for
1: correct that. and i think it's i think it's a false i don't know a false dichotomy is the correct term for this but i think it's it's false to assume that just because it exploits your emotion which sure it, it exploits your emotion a lot of songs are made you know to be very emotional that doesn't mean that it is therefore uh wrong to do because music in and of itself is emotional that is one of the things that is just simply going to naturally happen with any sort of piece of music it's going to make you feel something whether that's sadness whether that's uh anger whether that's introspection reflection mm-hmm. uh guilt um it's going to do something if it's if it's a good piece of music uh, and that's what they try to aim for um And I think, you know, there's this natural reaction where it's like, okay, it leads to emotionalism, which is fair, completely fair. Um, But the problem is is that if you only view it that our emotions have to be uh, a certain way in order to be able to receptive to the truth, I think that um, it sort of denies the inherent power that music holds, which is – which is distinct from speech because, you know, we wouldn't say uh, if a person was giving a, a very effective sermon that, uh, that uh, convicted the entire uh, congregation, oh, that's just emotionalism. You just want them to feel convicted. You just want them to feel this way or feel guilted. And it's like, well, no, that's just, you know, what the sermon, you know, that's just what the sermon did because I'm using correct reasoning, correct theology, and I'm using, you know, the truth of the scriptures, which should naturally stir up something in you.
0: I think, I mean, in the same way, so you talking about the sermons, I think in the same way you could, you could bring out a hymn, you could bring out a song, you could bring out a sermon that that naturally leads to, yeah, I I think it is a false dichotomy to say it's, it's emotion versus instruction for, for songs. But I think, that in the same way that you could potentially abuse music and say, well, you know, I'll make it as vapid as possible and just kind of get people in a money giving mood by, you know, playing these, playing these four chords over and over. Um, you could do the same thing in, in, in a sermon. As you study public speaking, you study homiletics, things like this. You, you can absolutely manipulate people emotionally by not just what you say, but how you say it, the candor, the pacing, the, the pauses, the emphasis, mm. all of these things, you can create a rousing speech. You can create a speech that's absolutely convicting and absolutely empty, uh, you know, theologically empty. You could have been, sure. and it's, I guess it's harder to, I would say it's actually harder to craft a to craft a right. sermon, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as good at it. To craft a, I, an emotionally I, manipulative sermon as it is to craft emotionally manipu- manipulative music. Just put it in well, my maybe it's instead.
1: Maybe <laughs> it's because you know a lot of the sort of you know emotional reception has been basically uh, has been basically um, seceded to the non-doms, right? The evangelical group, where it's like you know, uh, there's not like high emotion isn't something that is often present in the traditional sense of mm-hmm. the traditional denominations. Therefore, we've uh, we've given this sort of uh, perception that any sort of emotional uh, uh, inkling has been seceded to the evangelicals who exploit it very well. And I think, again, that's a false dichotomy to assume just because... They themselves do it that it is impossible for us to have you know sound theology and uh be able to stir people's emotions because um again same thing with repentance what leads people to repentance is god's kindness his grace His mercy and you know the more you meditate on those things the more you're going to be convicted of the wrongdoing which is why you know uh the scriptures say whatever is good, whatever it is, lovely, whatever is wholesome, whatever is beneficial, edifying, meditate on these things uh, day and night uh, for your own edification. And it's like, and it's like, yes, you know, if something is truly beneficial, even if it does, you know, stir up a emotional state in you that, you know, could be seen as exploitive or as, um, or as simply, you know, arousing an emotion for emotion's sake. I think it's a, a false assumption to assume that's going to be every single case, or that that is the rule.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I can agree. With I mean, that. if you I look don't at know the that crowds
1: that's... that Jesus, if you look at the crowds that Jesus drew, it's like it's not simply because he was saying something that was, you know, dry or that people have heard before or that people were not interested in. It's like he said something interesting. He said something that was different. That he said it radical. in an
0: interesting way as well. The uh, the, con- the concept of like parables and stuff like that. Uh, this is, that's an example right. of. And that's of-
1: why I think storytelling is a inherently Christian value, especially when you uh trying to demonstrate to people advanced ideas about Christianity, because this is why he said he does parables because, you know, he has to do things in a way that you can understand.
0: Yeah. I think a Peter sermon as well was, was it such a rousing sermon. I don't think it was, you know, just emotional rousing, but I think that, you know, Peter's sermon that, Holy Spirit worked through to 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 bring so many people to repentance. This is God works through emotion and instruction at the same time. We don't have to be afraid of uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of I don't know if it would be the Pietists or, or who it would be that are so absolutely opposed to any sort of emotional content in in worship that everything has to be as drab, as beige as possible. People make jokes about us us lutherans being well you know you're german so germans don't we don't we don't have you we don't smile they, they are inconvenient we i actually
1: am mostly german ethnically
0: so, so there you go so and the, yeah ger- the germans and then lutheran germans those you know the combination of these two things or there are scandinavian lutherans um that are eternal scowl. yeah the yeah that there's that there they have no emotion at all and that's absolutely not true again pointing back to luther is is his his worship his Uh, his prayers and, and his writings, his, his music are so filled with emotion, not devoid of, of instruction, but filled with emotion and, and instruction.
1: Right. It's like, why, why would you have one without the other when you can combine them both to make something that is, I would say better because, you know, when I'm listening to a independent Christian artist with a rich and deep and sound theology, while being accompanied by an amazing instrumental, like it's just two halves that create a better whole. It's in my like view,
0: God put them together or made them to to work together so well.
1: Right, and I agree with Luther that you know, uh, instruments and music is one of God's greatest gifts um, that came from you know the natural world, and so I think it should be we it should be prudent for us to use those in the best way possible. Um, which is why, again, this whole regulative principle view seems so counterintuitive to me. Um, but, but yeah. All
0: right, there you have it: the regulative, normative, and inventive principles in worship. Emotional versus instructive, or emotional and instructive music. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for Christcord for hosting this this episode. Thank you to Stigma the artist for sticking around for hour two so we could record this this episode. Uh, Thank you all. God bless and take care.